Welcome to the Mike on Much podcast. I'm your host, Mike Veerman, and I'm here with my friend and trusty producer back in the studio, back in Toronto, Max Kerman. Max. Feels great to be back. Feels good? Yep. We are also joined by our pop culture aficionado, Shane Cunningham, and... In our second pod, since she's returned from the West Coast with a new outlook on life, <laughs> I feel like we had a little response on uh, Twitter and yeah. in inboxes about people feeling like uh, your outlook on life and, and, and your change, your, your new perspective. It kind of reminded me of when like the Beatles went to India. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> came back and made Sgt. Pepper? Yeah. Or was it? Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's here. I no, am. they came back and made the White Album. That's what it was. No. They wrote a bunch of the White Album in India. They was it? I yeah. thought it was Sgt. Pepper. Yeah. No, they made Sgt. Pepper before they left. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Do you still feel changed or have things come back to uh, reverted back out to the way no, they used to be? I still feel changed. Okay. I'm a different person. Nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, those it's weird some, having Max here. Right those now. are some powerful <laughs> mountains that you saw out west. Um, we want to thank uh, host of the heist, uh, Matt heist. for coming on and filling in for you, Max. But I got to say, as always, we miss you, man. Yeah. You know what? Uh, I love listening to the pod, though. It, and, you know, you guys are so funny because you, you guys were trying to psychoanalyze me and, like, what my text <laughs> meant. And, like, was he really was he being actually cool? I was, like, I was totally cool with it. I was actually looking forward to it because I think Unzi is really entertaining. You guys are really entertaining. You guys have amazing chemistry together. I think if I was throwing you in there with, like, a, a random person, I'd be, like, a little more worried. But you guys have been bantering for, like, over a decade. With Unzi. With Unzi. Oh, yeah. So I wasn't worried about that. And the other thing I'll add, though, is that it's actually really fun to just uh, hear your hear uh, your yourself being talked about. Yeah, like that's actually fun. Like if the whole episode was just you guys pontificating on me, <laughs> like, I, would, I was like, I would be totally fine with that. Because like, the first like ten minutes, we're just like Max, this Matt, Max does this, and Max maybe was thinking this, and Max is a great guy, and he's whatever. <laughs> I, I was like, this is awesome. I I never want to be on the pod anymore. Yeah. As long as you only talk. As long about as you're me. on it without being on it. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> were you jealous at all though? Not at all, which speaks, I think, to more about you mm-hmm. and your disposition than me. Because the fact that your instinct was like, oh, he'd be jealous. No, that's what you would do. Okay. I, th- I think you're more talking about yourself when you're projecting that onto me. Right, okay. Yeah, anyway. Because I wasn't <laughs> jealous at all. I was just like, oh, I'm just glad we're getting a pot out this week, really. Okay. Yeah. But you're so you're narcissistic in a different way, I guess. Like, <laughs> you know what? I think you nailed it. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. It just manifests differently. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was a great hang, and we did miss you though. And leave it to uh, Webby D, Mr. Dan Carruthers. I we couldn't remember if we'd done one without you. I honestly, if I had to bet, money, I couldn't remember either. You I guys were discussing s- it. I was like, have I? Yeah, I was like, I was like, if I had to bet my money, I would say we've never done one without Max. And then uh, Webby D found two episodes we did without you. I, I thought that there's been a couple. Of what was the one? It was Scott Whalen. Yeah, and, and then, then the one after it. Mm. Oh, it's funny because he I, must have been on tour or something, and they yeah. hadn't invented phones yet for Collins. <laughs> well, I felt bad because one guy uh, DM'd our Instagram account, and he's like, "I've been saving that Scott Whalen one for a while. I, oh. I'm such a big STP fan. I can't bring myself to listen yet. Oh, no. But I'm just like, oh, it's just him eating a grilled cheese for ten minutes, and, and kind of making fun of him, right? Well, not, not that it's, it, him, it was but. making fun of the awkwardness of the interview, just uh-huh. how much we were we were like. How di- how uncomfortable we felt trying mm-hmm. to talk to him when he didn't really want to talk to us. Yeah, but yeah. it's fascinating on a different level than like this profound interview that some Stone Temple Pilots fans going to save for later. You know, it's just like very uncomfortable, interesting yeah. interview. 
And and it happened at a at a weird point in his life, and obviously shortly after that he, he passed away. So mm-hmm. it is a fascinating sort of I think time capsule. So if you do listen to it, uh, yeah, just prepare yourself for not some in depth sort of career retrospective. Yeah, you don't really learn anything about him just directly. That he, yeah. Just that he thought the grilled cheese. Well, from don't ruin it. Oh, it's my bad. No, okay, spoiler <laughs> alert. Yeah, listen to it. Go back episode number ten. Oh, we were just we were babies then, guys. Yeah, just we didn't know what we didn't know. Yeah. So lots going on uh, in the news, and also just uh, in our lives. What have you been up to? You went to uh, Cirque du Soleil last night. Yeah, it was really awesome. Have you guys ever been? I know you've been. You saw Love. I've been to a couple. I saw Love, and I saw exactly where you saw this one. I think I think it was O maybe they had okay. in Toronto, like yeah. maybe three years ago. I got tickets to that as well, like on one of those nights that you went, where like industry went. Yeah, exactly. Everybody that I know was there. Yeah. It was almost annoying, to be honest. I kind of, I brought my nieces and my mom, and I was just like, you know, just keep your head down. I'm going to talk to my nieces and not talk to anybody else. It was good. Is that how you played it? Yep. But I saw a photo of you on the red carpet. Oh, well, that's part of the duty. You got to go do that. And we had a a funny joke. Uh, Full disclosure for our Kells fans out there. Often, if you see a funny caption in an IG story, we've talked about this before. I put it in a group with Greg Veerman, your brother, Mike, and Shane, and I say, give me some copy for this. And right. I use Mike's copy today. Oh, well, today, I you didn't uh, contribute. Well, here, here's what I do. I don't start the brainstorm till I see what Mike has. Because uh, <laughs> Mike is a big, uh, like, he's, his brain is very fast and can spew them out. Usually, he'll give, like, five. Yeah. And then I'll see the five, and I'll be like, if I can top it, I'll do one mm-hmm. that I'll think is better than it. Yeah. If I can't, I'm just going to lay back and act like I didn't see it. Because then you get a lot of credit for not even contributing. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah, you, and you don't want the rejection in case I go with Mike. And yeah, and then I was like, oh, I love the twist of uh, instead of going with that Tim or, and uh, Nick are dressed up in these ridiculous outfits, yeah. it's that there's a, 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 work, job, swap. a job swap, yeah. which I thought was very funny. And yeah, that was so, very funny. So shouts to Mike Fearman on that My brother didn't even get in on that one. Actually, you had one the other day. He's, that, he's been traveling all day. He's going to LA. He's been traveling nonstop that yeah. day. Honestly, although he did babysit for us last Monday, it was my and I did anniversary. party with him last night. You did? Well, I mean, party. I mean, I had some drinks with him. Wait, did he go? He didn't go to Cirque, did he? No, he didn't. I met up with him afterward. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, actually, Manager Ash uh, had reached out about to see if we were interested in going to Cirque. Mm. And the thing is, I love Cirque. Like, yeah. I really do enjoy it. Um, and it, and I was like, I said to Danica, I'm like, can we make this happen? And you quickly realize, like, in your circle of people that can come and like babysit a kid, it's just like, there's no way we're going to find a sitter in 24 hours. Yeah. And so you just have to let the dream die. Or one of us goes. And so I, I said, I was like, if you want to go, I'll stay at home and whatever. But mm-hmm. we didn't go. But what did we miss out on? Is the show good? Is it really it, good? Out of 10. Come on. Hit uh, us. I mean, I, geez, I was sort of blown away by the amount of not only like athleticism and, you know, when it comes to the acrobatic shit, but also just like the production of it all. All the music is performed live. So it's like they've plucked these incredible musicians from seemingly all around the world. Like there was this woman who was like a drummer and she was on stage doing like drumming and she was sort of walking around, but also she had a full rock kit and did this the whole drum solo. And I hate drum solos, but this one kind of blew me away. Uh, Also just like um, just all the coordination involved in pulling off a show and how they managed to keep it so fresh. Like each scene has its own thing. So like there was a there's a part where a bunch of confetti came down like it was snow and then the snowstorm started to happen and it starts blowing out at the audience. So it was really immersive and it really got me thinking about how I think Cirque du Soleil is I think is actually underrated. I know it's been around for decades. I know it tours around the world. I know it's that name is uh you know, I think the brand is strong. The, Do you think people look at Cirque as like something as like uh, kind of cheesy? No, not that it's cheesy. I, I don't think people think of it as cheesy or less than good or anything. I just think it's so good 
that it's gotten to the point where it's under. It's like you know when we come to appreciate LeBron James, we're yeah. like, or Steph Curry, we're like, is he at the point where he's actually underrated because yeah. the, the the expectation is so high and he just delivers year after year after year. I think that's where Cirque is. I at. think it's like like at a Forrest Gump level, where it's kind of like what Mike's saying. To Forrest Gump, almost seems cheesy, or right. Jerry Maguire, or something like that, because it's so good. Uh-huh. It's there's a lameness to it not being underground at all. Oh sure, yeah, yeah. I guess it's like really a populist sort of. Production. Yeah, like like I don't think people view it the way they look. Like, you know, Cats is a punchline. Mm-hmm. You know, there's certain like Broadway shows that have run forever that are kind of like go see cats whatever and it's kind of I don't think Cirque is in that realm so I get what you're saying yeah. now about you're saying that it's almost like it's good everyone respects it it's good but I don't think people understand how truly great it is well here's the thing because you see the show you're blown away you talk about it the next couple of days and then you kind of forget about it yeah. and then but then when you go back because I saw one in December and I loved it it was at Scotiabank Arena this one was in like the tent down by Ontario Place and it just reminded me I was like oh my god it's like and if someone has to put on a show as part of my job and I think there's enough moving parts going on in an Arkell show. It is a fraction of the amount of an Arkell show is a fraction of the amount of work of a Cirque du Soleil. And like, and as a, for that, that in itself, I was blown away by. It. And then it kind of just got me thinking about like, you know, what's overrated and underrated when it comes to like the degree of dif- difficulty. Oh yeah. Uh, when it comes to just like live entertainment, and you know, and you could talk about stand-up comedy. You could talk about like a DJ at a music festival. You could talk and just like where all those things where you'd rank them. And I think Cirque du Soleil is at the top. And it's also one of those things, it's so good that like, like enjoying it like sober is, is, is what you want to do just to appreciate. Probably everything. high would be the best. High would probably be pretty cool too. <laughs> yeah. Or shrooms. shrooms. Oh, that would probably freak you out. There's a lot of like weird. Microdose. Old... <laughs> probably the perfect <laughs> thing to do. But I think Cirque du Soleil is one of those things. It translates the worst to television. Oh, totally. Yeah, I, I buy was, that. Yeah. I was thinking about that because they had some video clips showing outside of the production. I would never put that on if it was like a Netflix special. I'd watch a Netflix documentary. I remember years ago the sixty minutes. Oh, that, yeah. Making of or like the history of Cirque du Soleil, and it was fascinating. Mm-hmm. But just like throwing it on TV and just like watching a thing wouldn't do it for you. It's so three dimensional, and like the performers are kind of flying over top of you. Um, but I think what I'm kind of getting to is I still this is sort of unrelated, but kind of related. I still haven't heard one good argument for the DJ set. Like, <laughs> like not to sound like an You're old man. You're talking about like uh, public-facing expressions of like creativity. Yeah. Like if you get on stage and entertain someone. Yeah. So it's like we know what someone with a guitar does. We know what somebody who makes films for people do. Yeah. Are you talking about live entertainment in, in specific? Uh, that, but no, you're on. You're onto it. When I'm okay. It. Yeah. Uh, and so it's <laughs> like you can sort of see the artistry in all of these uh-huh. uh, endeavors. You're still not sold on somebody spinning records. Uh, no, not 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 even. I mean, spinning records. There's something to that. Plugging into the iPod. I don't. Care. Yeah, like like the, the EDM thing, you know. Because I watched, and here's the thing, which is the frustrating part about it, is that in a perfect world, um, the amount of attention something gets should sort of align with the degree of difficulty and how impressive it is. Sure. I think maybe, mm-hmm. or, maybe or even I'm, effort, maybe or, or effort. Yeah. yeah. But I was at Lollapalooza. And we played, and the EDM stage was packed from noon till two in the morning. It was by far the most popular stage. I was like, this is a joke. Like, it was like literally, it was like Shaquille O'Neal was DJing, and he was just yelling into the microphone. And I just, and I just haven't heard a good argument yet. Or maybe I, well, I'm it's not- like, it, here's my argument it would be the equivalent to seeing a movie in the theater. It's like you're really you're putting all this work into something that's uh, distilled on like a, a chip uh-huh. pretty much now, and you hit a button, and then everyone has this communal experience. Uh-huh. That's what the DJ thing is. Uh-huh. It's 
oh, Kim Kardashian's coming to the club tonight. Oh, my God. We're just going to go to the club and we're going to look at her. But it's about being yeah, with everyone. It's about and the, like, the loud sounds, probably being no, on No, it's drugs, about dancing. You, dancing. Never, you never get to listen to that music. Knowing with the that guy some celebrity who, guy is up on he stage. He created it. Yeah. He's pumping us up. Mm. Steve Aoki's throwing a cake in your face. And we're, <laughs> we're all dancing together. Okay, I agree with all that. Mm-hmm. Then I'd say it annoys me or it frustrates me that that experience is sort of put in the same category of these other kinds of art form. When we talk about like public facing creative entertainment, it's like that like because I just think it should be a different it should the name should be different. It shouldn't mm-hmm. be like live it is live entertainment, but it shouldn't be like a live show. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I do. I just wish it was just called something else. It was just like we're going just dancing or something like that. We're going yeah. we're going dancing and celebrity watching. Or or we're just or we're taking drugs and dancing. Like it should just have a different moniker. But it wouldn't and be the fact a, that it lives yeah. at a music festival next to a bunch of other things where it's like the degree of difficulty is actually significantly harder. The more moving pieces, yeah. you need a band to make these sounds. Yeah. The performance is sort of it's a, it's an interesting thought. I guarantee you we're going to get some letters from some very angry dudes that are no, by the way, I making beats the right now. And, and I've heard that. It's like, listen, the lighting show is really impressive. And I'm like, yo, fair enough. And sometimes like, they are doing stuff in the moment. Like I was just listening to Steve Aoki yeah. on a podcast. And he's he's tapping stuff. Yeah. Why, why do you laugh? No, no, no. I, thought you were just, I was just listening to Steve Aoki at a rave. Like you right. just came from. Like, no, no. He was on a pod. But he made it seem like he does stuff in the moment. Like it's not just plug it in. Think, maybe that's the big joke. I, I I do think it's less that in some ways. Like maybe like super technical people could tell you what he's doing with those knobs. But I think what you're saying is getting to the heart of the human experience. It's like I want to be in a place with a famous person that I can dance in with all of these people that are feeling the same thing I am. But mm-hmm. to Max's point, I'm trying to think of an equivalent. Like let's say like Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book. And they were selling books at the local chapters. And then Malcolm Gladwell was going to be standing there, but he wasn't signing books and he wasn't doing a conversation. He was just standing there and people were there buying his books. Mm-hmm. But they get to see him and yeah. then they get to leave with the book. That happens a lot. But usually there's like, a, I'm going to sign a book or we're going to do a Q&A. Oh, he I'm, doesn't even sign it. In, in, this, in this retelling of it. He doesn't okay. have a, a public reading. He's just there. Like you mm-hmm. said, Kim Kardashian's at a club. You get to go and be like, I was in the same room with this person. Can you, can you take a picture with him? Not with them, but of him. Okay. That's cool. He, he doesn't interact. <laughs> <laughs> and to each person, they need to find out what they're getting out of the experience. And by the way, I, this is coming from a guy who actually at this point in my life likes to go see like a DJ at a club more than a live band. Yeah. So, so I, I'm not like degrading it. I'm just saying it should be put in. I think category. live band is the most thing I'm consistently disappointed with when I go see Sure. It. And that's why when you see something good, I think it's impressive. Yeah. yeah. Like you guys are very, very good. I'm not just kissing your ass. Thanks. But your, your show is actually better than... Just listening without going to live show. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, no, it's a good. Like, what would be the comparison of? It's like somebody who like wrote a book, like a Gladwell. Yeah, they already did the work. So say you created the the, the song, like you're you're. you're it's you're, going to see a movie at TIFF, and the guys just sitting there, and then they go, Martin Scorsese is not doing a Q and A, which happens all the time, and then they just leave, and you're like, I was in the room with Scorsese. This is exactly what I was trying to say. Uh-huh. Yes, about the books. So TIFF mm-hmm. is a good example, but no Q and A, nothing, but you just know they're in the room. Uh huh. Like but I, went I to feel s- like it's even like a weirder reality where it'd be like someone who wrote a book versus somebody who can just write words down really fast and people just go, whoa, look how fast this is. The guy's got can just write <laughs> like a page really fast. There's all these crazy words and he, and he filled up a whole page in 30 seconds. Holy shit, look at him go. No, but those, music, those songs are good that yeah. they're making. Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, <laughs> I mean, that's another thing. No, I, no. I mean, there are some producers that are amazing. Oh, sorry, DJs that are amazing producers, like um, Avicii. He's a very talented. Yeah. Who was musician. the guy that got into his girlfriend's bum bum at Burning Man? 
Oh, uh, Flume. Like, is Flume <laughs> someone you consider talented? Oh, by the way, no, but here's the thing. These, some of these producers are incredible songwriters, incredible producers. Like, Chris Martin's like, Avicii's a fucking genius. I think Flume's music is very cool. I think these guys are on the cutting edge of production, and I l- really do enjoy the music. But the idea, like, it, it, I think it's just, like, an inside joke among people on the quote-unquote DJ thing where, like, they're kind of like, can you fucking believe Like, we're getting this? away with something? Oh, my God. They all go, like, guys, like, it's I just show up. I don't have to like lift a fucking finger. It's like, no, I, I get all the money. I get way more money. And I literally just show up with a fucking USB thumbnail. <laughs> yeah. Like, and I just, it's fucking crazy. <laughs> when you still have to travel to places, it's exhausting still. No, stop it. What a nightmare. On a fucking private jet. If you live in LA and you go to Vegas to like DJ a pool party. But, but okay, here's a question. I think, I think that's what it is. I think that's what it comes down to is that all the, I think a lot of these guys in the game go, I can't believe it. So here's what, I'm, here's my question then back to you. You're making it sound very simplistic. If it was this easy, why wouldn't everyone do it? It's an amazing life. I think a lot of people are doing it. That's why there's but no bands anymore. Well, the hard level? part is to become popular because to get people to even want to come to where you're at, you need the hits. Of course. Oh no. I, so there's the trick. What I'm saying is, it's like you're describing it almost like, uh, like I know there's DJs working every night all over the city who are making what are a few hundred bucks. But the level you're talking about, what's the magic trick? Why isn't everyone just Flume or Aoki or one of these guys? Well, number one, I'd say way more people are doing it now because it's actually way easier. There's the amount of bands that are starting now today versus 15 years ago when DJing wasn't an option. There's no bands anymore. So if you're a primary songwriter, you're going to go into digital music and just create in your basement and then tour. Yeah, and be a DJ. And you can also like make a bigger name for yourself as a DJ or a producer now than you, than you could before. Like, sure. like producers are now like uh, Benny... Benny Blanco, who used to be one of the producers behind the scenes making pop jams, he's now the featured artist. It's like, you know, the Calvin Harris's of the world. So, so it's like people are onto it and go, oh, this is actually pretty sweet. And I'm sure, like within the DJ world, there's like a hierarchy. And again, it's like most of the people at the top make most of the money, et cetera, et cetera. But it just, it's just funny that like the thing, it, it, it's like that the people are snickering at. Or, or that are like keeping this like dirty little secret, it, like just continues to persist. That, that nobody seems to have a problem with it. And then you go see something like Cirque du Soleil, where you're like, oh my god, like this is also the I amount guess, of thought and effort. live entertainment, yeah. and this literally is a million times the amount of work and money to produce yeah. a show and, like oh, that. And money to have you seen a Cirque, Shaney? Uh, I was going to see one in Vegas, but then we just liked the stand-up comedy so much. Like we went to see Harlan Williams, and yeah, comedian. It, yeah, he was amazing. Like it was one of the best stand-up shows I'd ever seen in my life. And on uh, this most recent trip, yeah, wow, it was so good. I'm like very, very into Harlem Williams now. And each show he does is like eighty percent crowd work. Oh wow! So you can literally see his Friday show, his two Saturday shows, and Sunday, and not stop being entertained. Huh? That's cool. And yeah, he won like improviser. Who is he again? He's in. Uh, do you know Dumb and Dumber? Yep. He's uh get the hell out of here. Uh, okay, cool. There. Uh, <laughs> there's something about Mary. Mm. He was the the killer. In oh, the car. Sure, well, you sure. knew who he was after my imitation, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. The cop. Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess that was for other people. Yeah, just yeah. the listeners if if they're not already running to their laptops. But he's the cop in Dumb and Dumber, which everyone yeah. knows Dumb and Dumber. Yeah. Uh, have you seen a Cirque show, Erica? You've been pretty quiet. No, over there. never. Never. But I've seen the Blue Man Group, <laughs> <laughs> and I love them. <laughs> What, do they, what do they do? What do they do? They, they like drum with yeah, like paint and shit. I don't know. It's kind of like <laughs> sounds <it's> disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were on that. I don't know. I like. Sorry. Them. Yeah. Is, is that us that, wrapped on that, Cirque? That's a good one. We're done with Cirque. Yeah. We appreciate Cirque. Just, I, okay. I, I, I'm not into Cirque at all, by the way. But you love DJs. I'm way more into DJing than I am Cirque. <laughs> I, I am. Why aren't you into Cirque? I just don't care about that stuff. I'm not saying it's not impressive. Have you ever seen it? 
uh, I watched the documentary that you're talking about. Yeah, when I just trying say out. as a like in person experience, it's it's pretty captivating, and, I, and it's, it's something I don't crave. I'm like, like oh, I can't wait to see a guy on a trapeze or something. But then when you go, you're like, oh, wow, that's pretty fucking cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, by the way, for our listeners, if you have a good argument for why I should respect DJs more, <laughs> please send them. Okay. The one thing I will say, and you kind of alluded to it, is. I think the one thing EDM has that a lot of other genres of music don't have is that you don't have to pay attention to what's going on. Yeah, well, the party (laughs) slash like drug culture associated with it. Like nobody else at Lollapalooza probably had like the amount of people dropping acid to go see a set. Yeah, as the DJs did, and I think that like attracts a a certain like all my friends who I know who go to these raves things. Yeah, like they go to do a copious amount of drugs and get really fucked up. Well, then again, okay, let's call it a drug experience then. Let's not call it like live, live entertainment. Yeah. yeah, but I feel like a lot of people would be offended by that who don't a do lot drugs of who be. go to the shows. And I'm sure there's. But there how many of those of people. people actually exist? I think I, I don't think know. Steve Aoki is. seemed to say a lot exist, huh. and he's completely clean person himself. Yeah. And by the way, our friend Lights is literally on tour with Dead Mouse, and I know just from uh, knowing what Amanda Ash is working on, they, they built this cube, and it's like this very like thoughtful exercise. And Dead Mouse is a fucking genius, apparently. And it's very creative. And so, and so, like, I'm interested in that. But, yeah. But I sort, sort of check out when it's just a USB stick. I think I think the experience of it is just very unique to EDM. Yeah. yeah. You're paying for the work they did beforehand, not what they're doing on stage. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, how sure. many people, yeah. like, at your Lollapalooza set showed up on acid? And, like, Probably super not. drunk out of their mind. Yeah. yeah. So I think it attracts... I think EDM is big amongst, like, younger people, too. And I yeah. think that's why. For sure. Well, it just... It, it kind of comes back as, like... Can I watch? Can I go to an event like a live performance and not pay attention really at all to what's going on? That's stage? the question. Like, yeah, and that's... it's like, and, and if it's like you don't need to pay attention to it, then I'm like, then what is it? Like, it's it's a, it's a vibe. It's a party. It's a party, but it's not a show or something. I don't know. I don't yeah, know. yeah. All right, next subject. All right. So uh, this was a huge story in the news. In fact, in our last episode of the podcast, uh, Unzi had gone to the bathroom while we were recording. And while he was in the bathroom, because we were recording at 299, they have TVs and radios playing in all the bathrooms. So CP24 was all over this story. It had literally just broke on Wednesday evening, I guess. And so he came back and he's like, you guys can hear this on the pod. He's like, do you guys hear about this uh, like Trudeau? Uh, he's in trouble because he's, he's in blackface or something. I'm like, when? What? He's like, I don't know. Just I just heard it like over the thing. So it literally happened while we were recording on Wednesday night. Uh, since then, it has become a major international scandal uh it was front page of cnn like literally a larger story when you look at cnn.com than the whistleblower that trump is trying or the trump administration might be trying to uh keep quiet so it was a very very big national story but if you don't know and i don't know how you wouldn't uh justin trudeau they uncovered photos from 2001 i believe he was 29 years old Uh, he was a drama teacher at the time and he's at some party, some dress-up party, Halloween party. I'm not sure what it was. And he's in uh, full uh, like brown face. He looks like some sort of, it was like called like an Arabian Nights party or something. Or he went as, what you know, an Arabian prince. This seems to be a problem with him. Uh, historically, he seems to have like, every time there was like a fucking Halloween party or something where he could dress up, he got out the makeup kit. This was his thing. So... Obviously, we know in 2019, uh, all of the sort of problematic and sort of offensive things that come along with somebody going in blackface or brownface uh, to any sort of event or dressing up that way. So, yeah, so he he had to do this huge uh, apology uh, for the press. It was carried live again, like I said, on CNN, uh, uh, all over all over in the States and everywhere. Uh, I 
I mean, this story is interesting for a few reasons because this these photos have sort of come to light a month before. If you're in the states, you're listening to this. We're having a big election in a month, uh, and there's basically you know the uh, the left and the right. The left is is Justin Trudeau. The right is this candidate named Andrew Scheer. And right now they're polling almost like neck and neck. And so something like this coming out feels strategic, mm-hmm. but it also doesn't uh, you know what I mean mitigate the fact that the guy did this. What are our thoughts on Justin? Sort of feeling it's okay to do this, and then I guess getting uh, having this come back to uh, hurt him now publicly. Well, I think he didn't think it was a racist thing when he did it at all. Like I don't think he was doing this based in uh, racism. Like I wouldn't say he's a racist because he did this. Yeah, I mean, well, a lot of people are talking about that on Twitter. How he's like, he was twenty nine. Mm-hmm. It was two thousand one. He should have known better. And that's a I okay. Don't know. But the, well, why does the yearbook publish it then? Like everyone yeah, on that yearbook committee is like. This is fine. And he's he's literally posing with Indian people or people mm-hmm. of the culture he's supposedly trashing. Yeah, there's so many parts of this which I find fascinating. And it's also interesting because we keep on coming back to this kind of story on, on mm-hmm. this podcast about like, you know, Shane Gillis was last week, like something somebody did in their past. And it's interesting to talk about it because each situation is different, right? And it's, it's like... Well, the other one was hate speech. This is like a guy trying to do something. He's like, oh, I'm trying to... But it's all generally put in the same category was my point. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was just like how it it becomes a theme on our podcast. Um, Sorry, I cut you off. Oh, I was just going to say, you can make a mistake out of ignorance that people are going to... Like, that is racist, Mm -hmm. but it does mean you yourself are racist. Yeah, it's it's a tricky one because... It's like literally like one of Lauren's friends like dressed up as a Mexican for Halloween in like, you know, 2012 or something yeah. You're like in college. So it's like this stuff happens and you wonder, and I feel like everybody probably has something, you know, I was even thinking about myself in probably 2009 and it's on the internet and it's on my Facebook and I haven't scrubbed it. Maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't be talking about it, but I dressed up as a babushka, which was an Eastern European grandmother. I mm-hmm. do have some Eastern her- European history. Uh, so maybe that allows me to do it, but I but I thought it was just like a funny, yeah. it just like it just reminded me of like you know people out of my street, and I just it was a last minute Halloween costume, but I was like I did that, and that could be offensive to. Of course, to, it's to a, your your intent does matter. Like the other day, I was, but I didn't mean to be. Uh, I, I know that's what I mean. Your yeah. your intent wasn't to sure. be offensive, and you're uh-huh. just making a, a ignorant mistake. Yeah. So when the other podcast like what four podcasts ago i've said natives and you guys corrected me instantly uh-huh. saying it should be indigenous people i didn't know that yeah well the, the thing which is interesting about this story is i wonder how many people are um truly hurt and offended by it this is and that that's what i would like to know because obviously both like all the parties that aren't liberal are trying to make it into a big thing and like this is this is outrageous and i can't believe you did it and I, I saw, uh, I was listening to the CBC and they interviewed a bunch of people on the street and you could tell by their accents that they were came from various ethnicities. And it was interesting. It was like, I don't think it's a problem. Or, and some people were like, no, it actually, that's not good at all. So th- I would be interested to know how this thing pulls. I haven't checked the polling numbers about how many people uh, are actually hurt by it, you know, and, and, and how that might swing votes. Yeah, I think these things, like, I mean, there's nuance to every conversation. There's sort of a fascinating overarching thing happening here where I feel like, them trying to do a bit of a gotcha. Like I think a thing that really bothers the people on the right or some of his detractors is that he virtue he he's very virtuous in sort of the way that so like some people he's kind of like a Rorschach test. It's like if you can look at Justin Trudeau and his policies and you can go he's he's very progressive when it comes to things like immigration, uh, inclusiveness uh, and all these things and I think sometimes people on the right are like 
stop talking down to us and trying to like act like you're better than or you're holier than thou so then when a photo comes out like this they get to kind of do a victory lap and they're like oh look at like the super progressive like um uh left he's no different he's no different yeah. you know he's just as he's just as flawed what is kind of interesting is i feel like the the people that are trying to exploit this actually don't care that he is, is in blackface like in good faith yeah because i think that like if one of their candidates on the right had a photo from 20 years ago that looked like that they'd be like yeah he didn't know any better uh -huh. but i think they're enjoying sort of the hypocrisy of justin uh -huh. presenting one way and then being ignorant in another so that that's one thing that's kind of fascinating to me the other thing is it's like i think another thing's happening where we're looking at this photo from 2001 with like the sort of like our 2019 brains and sort of like this woke sort of like uh, understanding of the nuances of why that is so that could be offensive or is problematic and for people to be like, he should know better. It was 2001. It's like, really? Like, yeah, I, don't I don't know. I don't know if that's the most like, honest take. Like, our, we have such an institutional collective knowledge now about these issues that like, we can all kind of speak on at a dinner party. But could you imagine in, in, in 2001, like, there'll be a couple people that would be like, eh, that's probably not cool, bro. But the majority of people sitting down at that party wouldn't, they wouldn't think twice about that because we didn't discuss it in those terms then. It took time and progress in us going, why is this offensive? And speaking to people from those cultures and them saying, well, you know, this is why this is problematic. You get to spend, you know, one day sort of like picking the, the fun stuff out of being in my culture. But then you get to go back to being a very white, rich, uh, good looking dude that basically has had a very charmed life. So it's like, I hope you enjoyed vacationing in my skin for a party. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? It's like, it's like, but nobody, I don't know who thought that way. And maybe people... Um, of, 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 of ethnic backgrounds would say, well, we always felt that way and mm. maybe I'm ignorant, but I, I, I would say that f as far as my circle of friends, nobody was talking that in depth about the nuance of that in tw 2001. Well, it's funny because the whole theme of the party was Arabian night. So had he not even been in brown face, just simply dressing and maybe wearing a turban yeah. or whatever was supposed to be the normal protocol would have gotten him in hot water. But he, he's such an enthusiastic person i feel like he was just like i'm gonna go all out i'm gonna hire a makeup artist and it's gonna be great and hey there's two indian guys want a photo with me and like he thought it was going to be loved and those guys seem to be okay with it in the photo yeah it's it's interesting like the the way it's not up to us especially like three white guys um to, to, to say like how somebody ought to feel now it, you know it's like if any any person of color that sees that thing and is like actually like triggered and hurt and so like that's up to whoever feels whoever feels like it's they're a victim of just seeing that image the leader of our country wearing brown face yeah um but but i do think about you know i know people are disappointed in trudeau's policies but the tone that he has set as the prime minister which is one that's very inclusive like he really has gone out of his way to like talk about canada as a mosaic and to like welcome refugees to walk in pride like i think he I think we can say in good faith that he's been like a great example mm -hmm. of of somebody who says like Canada is for everybody. Whether or not on a policy level they've they've achieved everything they set out to do, that's a separate conversation. Yeah, he's represented inclusion. Yeah, he's represented track record. Yeah, and and I do think th there needs to be some acknowledgement of it in that like his actions, like in the, uh, since he's become prime minister, have been I think yeah. uh, pretty ideal. And, and I think that counts. I, I think that should count for something. And I guess the, the question I have and I struggle with all the time is what is the line between holding somebody accountable versus forgiving somebody? You know, it's like sure. like when do, when does somebody need to be brought to justice and to be called out or to be made feel guilty or for, for a just cause? 
versus, you know, like we just like forgiveness, like people, we're all sinners. And uh, at some point, like we should be able to forgive him for something he did in the past. That was bad. And I don't know what the line is. And, and maybe it's not up for any of us as privileged people to to judge. But I, I just think it's a question that no one a lot of the critics haven't quite reckoned with like like because we all understand the, the issues with him doing it but it's like how do we move forward by it well i think it all starts with intent like no one's arguing whether what he did was offensive you know no no but let's say even he in, he intended to be racist okay. let's, let's 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 say he went to the party and was like mocking stuff and this happened in 2001 and he thought it was funny and it was just a crass terrible joke mm-hmm. and then he carries on he becomes prime minister and he and he acts as he's acted for the last eight years or however long he's been in power that's an interesting thought experiment to me right yeah like it's Absolutely. like it's like okay somebody made some poor fucking jokes back then they should be called out they should be held accountable at what point do we also acknowledge oh they've also done some amazing stuff like they've 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 really flown the flag uh of the, the you know the pride flag and all the all the good things you're talking done. about you know, like actions not words yeah so exactly it's like if their actions have proven that they are not only sort of repentant for what they've done but ultimately have like helped lift up maybe something that they found uh, funny or or like if they, like you said people can change people can change but people say they change all the time so if there's this sort of empirical record of people like it's like well this is how this person has changed then I think you need to consider all that when sort of making a decision on someone's character for sure and by the way I don't care particularly about Trudeau like I think whenever everything's fine well this is what I wonder I wonder sometimes if you're someone on the right and I don't know I don't know how many listeners we have like that but you know, I saw a lot of people on my Facebook because I have the whole spectrum of people on my Facebook. Sort of, they did a lot of sort of like whataboutism and sort of a little uh-huh. bit of the false equivalency thing where like, well, if somebody on the right had a photo in blackface from uh, 10 years ago, uh, everybody on the left would have piled on and that person would have been pushed out of office or forced to resign. So it's like, I feel like there's a bit of frustration where it's like, we'll just sit here. Like, like it's like, Trudeau could do anything. It's like, well, he had a huge scandal, you know, uh, where he tried to sort of sway the uh, the attorney general or whatever. And then it's like, now he's done this. And it's like, everybody on the left who always will go after somebody uh-huh. on the other side are, are quick to come up with excuses for their people. Mm-hmm. My answer to that would be, well, track record matters. And it's like, if somebody seems xenophobic or, or they are very anti sort of immigrant and then they have a photo that yeah. plays racist, I go, well, track record. It always yeah. comes yeah. back yeah. down to actions. actions. Yeah. Yeah, and another thought I had, which I was kind of curious to get you guys' takes on, is that, um, you know, Sheer came out and said, this guy's unfit to lead. Uh, Singh came out and said, you know, he, he's a message for people of color that you're welcome Shane, in this country. Shane had a very funny joke. When when Singh was doing his press conference, uh-huh. we just had it on with no no sound on in uh-huh. the office. And Shane looked up and he goes, I can't believe Justin decided to do his press conference <laughs> like that. <laughs> That's funny. Um, is that... I'd be just fascinated uh, if one of these guys came out, one of his opponents came out and said, listen, obviously we know this was a bad, bad look, terrible taste, bad joke. We know in 29 is not not cool, but it also happened 20 years ago. And the standard I like to set is we're going to judge the the person on his actions, especially in the last decade. And let's carry on. Like I would... It, again, it kind of reminded me a little bit of uh, not totally the same, but when McCain was doing was running against Obama, and someone yelled, "Obama's a terrorist!" at like one of his town halls, and McCain said, "No, he's not a terrorist. He's American. He loves America. He's a good family man. He's a good family yeah, man. We have different ideas about how to make America better, but 
he's not a terrorist. And like, it would just be interesting to me if a politician just came out and said, hey, let's not, this is not the point. The point is we need to like achieve a better Canada and us talking about this is not actually helping anything. And, and some people might say that's soft or you're, you're missing an opportunity to, to get a W here. Mm-hmm. But I also think it would show, I think that's like the definition of leadership. You know what I mean? Like sure. of, of, of going that route. And I just wish more politicians in the words of Michelle Obama went high. Right. Yeah. What do you, what do you guys think? Do you, do, or do you think it's just like a foolish push yeah. move? It's like EDM concert. Go high. <laughs> <laughs> you like that one. Safe to laugh. <laughs> as, as, as a young person in the culture, as a voter, we vote in this election? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. How did you feel about seeing your prime minister uh, yucking it up in uh, blackface? Um, I, I pretty much agree with what you guys, what you especially, Max, have said. Why especially Max? What did he because say? Because he so did most great? of the talking. Okay, doesn't mean his points any better than mine. What was your point again? I, for- point? I forgot. It was so- <laughs> yeah, okay. He's too short to even remember. <laughs> <laughs> no, but about just like contextualizing the time and this and that. Um, I do though think a. I thought Jagmeet Singh's response seemed very honest and believe. I don't know. I I really liked what he mm-hmm. said. It was and a positive statement. Also, just to like acknowledge our bias. I don't know. Just you know, you you did. You, yeah. You kind of acknowledge the fact that we're all just. And, and and by the way, it's like in these kinds of situations, like I will like happily and I want to take the lead of somebody who is uh, in a disenfranchised position. And so right. it's like you tell me, like what do you, what do you think is fair here? It's yeah, exactly. But 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 when it when it but when it becomes like just pure political opportunism. And I go, okay, do people, do you actually, like, is the person who says they're, not, not Jagmeet Singh, but, like, some other, some other person on Twitter, is the person who says they're, like, protecting the voiceless, is, are you actually doing that, or are you just, is mm-hmm. this political opportunism? And I'd like to hear from the voiceless on this one. Me too. Yeah. I agree. And is, I, yeah, I just okay. feel like the people who are disenfranchised by events like this, I just wish they got more media attention, spotlight. Mm-hmm. And more of they, they were able to control the narrative that existed in the media around these things because then people like us would know better as to what it what the masses actually felt like. Yeah. Because it's not about any of us, to be quite honest no. with you. It's not about us. I was gonna ask, and this probably makes me seem very dumb, but is brownface even a thing? Like I know blackface is a thing that's extremely offensive <laughs> because it was uh, white actors would take yeah. the roles away from black people and play black people instead of actually paying a black person to yeah. play a black role. And they would actually just be like full on, literally the color black with like mm-hmm. shoe polish and stuff. But brownface, I don't know that historically to be a <laughs> Trudeau made it. A thing. I just yeah. started hearing that term after the Trudeau thing, right? Yeah. Because like you know, there's a movie uh, White Chicks where they went white face, and that's probably like a shitty argument. But I'm just confused of like, yeah. are brown people like that is supremely racist, or does it not even matter the paint? It's more like if you were to wear a turban, that would be more saccharine. It's, to them. I think it comes down to like either a marginalized community, they're just they're yeah, just yeah. a smaller like representation in this country, and be like the cultural appropriation thing. So you could take anything from like like Asian culture, any mm-hmm. culture that's not your own. I right, but I mean, is a movie like White Chicks, is that an offensive thing? Like, could you get away with a movie like that? Today? Well, no, she's saying because white, white, wi- wealthy white women aren't a marginalized yes. culture. But, so it's two black but guys. So, okay, so uh, you can appropriate a white person's culture. That's a question. And it doesn't matter as much. I, I don't know. I mean, and I, I guess the answer uh, is it doesn't But a lot of people would make that argument, you know? Like, it, mm-hmm. I guess it depends what it is specifically. 
you would find offensive about somebody yeah. dressing up as your culture. I also think it's a, uh, a related to this and, or in addition to this, it's a class thing too, where it's like, okay, if you're like taking the piss out of like literally the most fortunate people on this planet, who cares? It's like, you're right. Mm. But if you're taking the piss out of like hillbillies from the Appalachia, that's maybe when yeah. it's not feel as good because you're like, that's that those are people in the like, the lower class rung of society like if someone calls me cracker i don't care yeah uh, but you're it, a, the intent i guess would matter sure but you're in a fun. position to like not really care about it because it's like and the cares? history yeah. of like calling someone a cracker is very different than like calling someone the n-word oh like, i know that's what right? I, that's I what i'm that's saying like i'm just where it comes yeah i'm just thinking but of I like racial slurs in yeah. the hierarchy the, sorry go ahead no, what were you saying? The, the last thing that i've been thinking about when it comes to this on a grander level is you know, people have been making the jokes about like everybody who went to, you know, every guy who went to Queens or Dallas. Oh, or I saw, I saw Gourmet Spud <laughs> tweeted that. What did he say? He basically, I should find the tweet and read it exactly. So the Gourmet Spud tweet, uh, he said, every single person that went to Western Queens or Dal from 1990 to 2010 has pictures of their friends in blackface. Not defending it. Go look at faculty yearbooks. A lot of skeletons out there. Yeah, and and there's also like funny gif of like everybody like burning their high school yearbooks. There's like some clip from a movie of like some bonfire. Like this is what I'm trying to say too about the 2001 argument or like the ignorance argument. And Shane mentioned this about intent. Is it's like kids didn't even like kids didn't know they were being offensive when they were dressing like Michael Jordan or Shaq or Aladdin or whatever. This is not it is. to say that when it's they right. did it, they weren't hurting kids of uh you know in my minority population that's what i'm getting to but yeah. now it's like now i bet you nobody will fucking go out like that why because we learned you you like sort of like progress is about sort of like educating yourself learning and it's like now could you imagine going to a party like this weekend and seeing someone show up like that they won't because people now know well there wouldn't be an arabians night night yeah you're right yeah uh, the last thing i'll say on this one is that um I am maybe naive or overly optimistic, but I do like to think that there are certain people that truly are in politics for the right reason, that there are like noble leaders out there that really do care about the community and they're not just in it for, you know, fame. Because because being a politician is, I, th I think, a harder job. If you want to be a celebrity, like it is... Uh, become a DJ, it's much easier. Yeah, become a DJ. It's way <laughs> fucking easier. Yeah, it's a great one. So... It kind of this whole thing kind of bums me out because I wonder how many like really sort of like eager, keen twenty five year olds are out there who go, you know, I, I think I can make a difference. I, I love working with people. I care about my community. I have values that I think are important. But you know what? Fuck it. I'm never going to politics because I did. I dressed up like a fucking idiot for Halloween in 2012, and I'm not going to fucking do it. And and, and and I just, and I'm just and it's just a bummer to me that there there's a lot of good people out there that are just gonna walk away from that because and I think we do need leadership I think people can be like oh politicians are crooks and you can say that but mm -hmm. I think that's a stupid opinion um, and it and to me that's disappointing like imagine in twenty years uh, the like rainbow sleeves was considered homophobic if you weren't gay yourself sure. You know, yeah. you'd, be in, you'd be in hot water. Yeah. yeah, I like to think of that sometimes. Like, I like to think, what is something that like is a generally unaccepted practice today that in ten years it, it, you're going to look back and be like, "Holy fuck, I can't." I'm sure I there's. That. I'm that sure was we're so all doing something like right now that we're like, yeah. oh, fuck." Mm -hmm. 
which is fine, which is all about progress. But it just, it, and this kind of goes back to my question of like forgiveness. Like, are we going to be able to develop a culture where forgiving people for past misdeeds like becomes like one of our best virtues? Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. right now there, it does not seem to be uh, in the virtue in the scale of like important virtues. Forgiveness is pretty fucking low right now. And mm-hmm. I get that, like, we have a lot of catching up to do when it comes to, like, making things right. But I think – I just wish – I think the that. rules will be better, like Nick is always saying uh, in our Kells. Like, you got to, like, just do this extreme action to kind of take out all the trash uh-huh. and there's going to be casualties. Yeah. And then once we normalize, we can, like, play within the rules and bend them a little easier. I hope so. I really hope so. Time will tell. Yeah. Yeah. What cool. was the other topic? Well, uh, guys, we we got a few things, but I think a big Rolling Stone feature on Taylor Swift came out. Mm. Uh, was that today or yesterday? No, it came out like a few days ago, like a oh, week ago, maybe. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I'm a little bit behind the ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I ended up reading this feature that uh, Taylor hasn't given an in-depth interview, I don't think in three years, they were saying. Wow. So it was, so did so you read the whole thing? She's not coming on the pod? She, I don't think she'll be coming yeah. on the pod, no. Uh, it was very revelatory in a lot of ways. I thought she... Like, I, I don't know, I get, maybe I haven't read a lot of, like, long-form interviews with her. I've certainly never heard her on a podcast. But I, I found her answers in sort of um, self-awareness. Like, sometimes when I think about Taylor Swift, I think of her as sort of, like, flighty and self-indulgent. It's sort of just this this idea that I have her, and I don't, I don't think about her a lot. But it's like, when I do, I go, oh, I think I kind of have that person sorted. This interview, albeit in print, I was like, she, she came off very self-aware, sort of, like, um, appropriately sort of, like... Um, uh, angry at some of the stuff that's happened to her but then also very philosophical about some stuff and she, she, she says she's never been in therapy in this interview and she you know but she felt like somebody that's really sort of thought a lot about these things and just answered like these questions in, in a very very interesting way there's there's a section with um they talk about kanye west and how uh that whole thing came out where she was pissed about that line in his song uh about like taylor and i might have sex one day uh I made her famous I made that bitch famous is what he said. And then she got upset about the lyric and then Kim Kardashian released a, released a secretly taped phone call uh, where Kanye and her are talking about it and he says, oh, I'm going to say I used to have sex with you. She's like, yeah, that's cool. Taylor talks about this and she says, well, he never told me he was going to say I made that bitch famous. She's like, that line really did bother me. She was also, she's like, um, and she started to get into the psychology of how Kanye West operates. Mm. And she basically was like, you know, when Kanye did that thing at the the VMAs where he's like, you know, and he's invalidating me and he's telling me I don't deserve this award and all that stuff. She's like, my personality type is I just wanted so much for this like guy to like me because he like he didn't he, he, he sort of like he put me down in a way and he didn't respect me and not respecting me like it made me want to earn his respect so much that I decided to like okay I'll, I'll keep trying with this guy I'll, I'll like sort of like do this and she talked about how he uh, she's like so he called me up when he was getting like the Vanguard award at the MTV movie awards or video music awards and he said uh, hey Taylor it would mean a lot to me like really it would mean a lot to me if you if you presented it to me if you were the person that presented me the lifetime achievement award and she also got a little dig where she's like, she's like, he called me, which I did not uh, tape without his knowledge. She goes, yeah. and he basically said how much it would mean to me and he, he would compliment uh, my music and we kind of got close and I needed his validation. She goes, so I write this speech. I really think about it. She goes, I go up um, and I, I, I present him the award after this big speech about his career. And then I go and I stand, you know, he comes up and the first thing he does is he starts going like, oh, yo, MTV got Taylor to present me with this award like they made it happen she's like and I'm standing there with my arm around his wife she's like and I'm just like 
like I like I'm done with this guy. Like she's like, no, you called me and asked. You me to called do and it. asked, and it now, wasn't about MTV wanting ratings. It was like, yeah. and the minute you got up on stage, it's like you acted like you were too cool. Like you didn't, you weren't the one that wanted me to do this. Like it's almost like, well, I guess I'm associated with Taylor because they wanted the, you know what I mean? And so mm-hmm. she really got into that, and then she goes, and he did the same thing to Drake. She goes, he. Uh, Oh, she used a great wording. They blew up his life, basically. Yeah, yeah. she was like, he uh, gravely altered um, the trajectory of his family's life. And then she's like, he does this to people. She's like, so if that's what you're going to be, then I'm done with you. And she's just really gotten to that. What's the Drake thing? What, what did he do to him? The Pusha T thing. Remember? Oh. With the kid? Yeah. Kanye's involved in that? Kanye produced the song. Kanye produced Pusha T's album. Gosh. Pusha T and Drake Didn't aren't know that. a thing. So right. Kanye clearly told Pusha T this information about Drake's sort of secret <laughs> son. Then Pusha T did the diss track, but yeah. he would have only got the information from Kanye's gotcha. of, or the, the, the story of it. Then she goes into the Scott Bruschetta thing. And I'm actually going to look this quote up because I thought this was a pretty cool uh, way to describe Scott Bruschetta and Scooter Braun and sort of, we talked about this on a past pod, them uh, buying the catalog and owning her future work. So she talked a lot about um, the relationship she had with Scott Brochetta and how she really thought that he thought of her as a daughter, but then she realized, you know, that maybe it was just a business arrangement, et cetera, et cetera. But so Scott, I guess, had like when things got nasty, he'd accused her of not wanting to be a part of the Parkland March or play the Manchester Benefit Show. So this this uh, reporter for Rolling Stone asks, he was he accused you of declining the Parkland March and Manchester Benefit Show. Taylor says, unbelievable. Here's the thing. Everyone in my team knew if Scooter Braun brings us something, do not bring it to me. I guess Scooter was involved in both those things. Yeah, because he's Ariana Grande's manager. That's right. The fact that those two are in business together after the things he said about Scooter Braun, meaning Scott Borchetta, it's really hard to shock me. And this was utterly shocking. These are two rich, very powerful men using $300 million of other people's money to purchase like the most feminine body of work. And then they're standing in a wood panel bar doing a tacky photo shoot raising a glass of scotch to themselves because they pulled one over on me and got this done so sneakily that I didn't even see it coming and I couldn't say anything about it. So I'm like, that's pretty hard hitting. And I think that what I felt when I was reading this is I was like, I think a lot of people are going to relate to Taylor more than those two. Like she's, mm. she hasn't really spoke as in depth, like the Kanye thing, she, uh, the stuff with Scott Borchetta and Scooter Braun. I just was like, I felt like she, she's felt very relatable for anybody that feels like they've sort of been fucked over or like I've been in a weird relationship with somebody who's kind of like says one thing and then acts another way and all of that stuff. I don't know. What do you guys think when you hear those comments? Oh yeah, I did like the interview. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I've been a fan for her of hers for like 10 years. Um, it's funny. I think my spidey senses go up a little bit there. And by the way, like I like have no dog in this race, but the, the way I think like the criticism of Taylor Swift is that like, like many celebrities is that she's kind of playing the angles game. She's playing like the, like, how am I being perceived? And she acknowledges all that. No, 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 no. Yeah. She, no, she totally acknowledges, acknowledges that. And, and she also, and she even says, she's like, yeah, the, the minute a woman starts playing the angle, she's called a bitch. Like, and I, and I totally get that. And I, and I get that 100% that there's a double standard for women and men when it comes to like people that are really driven and wanting to be the boss. Totally get that. The only thing she doesn't quite acknowledge is, is like, okay, you still probably had a chance to buy it. Like, you don't acknowledge the process in which that that sale happened, you just say that 
like you were made unaware and they pulled one over. Like, you know what I mean? And, and that's what Borchetta and Scooter Braun said. They were like, she had a chance to buy it. She just didn't buy it. And so, she's trying to be relatable to like the masses by being like, these guys are worth 300 million. I'm, so I, I'm like you guys, the fans. Like I'm like a poor little girl and these, the man is <laughs> fucking me over. But she, it's just, when you're in business, especially at that level, it's ruthless. Y- yeah. And well, she said three hundred million of other people's money. That's the thing. They, oh, whatever. They, she, but they're not that liquid. That's the. That's what I liked about the dig. Yeah, that's that, like that was you a great need dig. to bring in investors. Great to, fucking to, dig. to buy something like that because Scooter probably doesn't have three hundred million. You know what I mean? So, so when people mm-hmm. say that she's like being a, when they accuse her of being like a little like disingenuous or a, or a little like strategic in a way that doesn't feel completely authentic. Not that anybody's completely authentic. It, it's like those kind of moments where you're like, okay, totally get it, but you're also playing a game just like everybody else's and it doesn't feel as like real to me and i you know what i mean that's interesting yeah interesting i don't take yeah it's um and i wonder it's like okay let's go through like the list of like famous like celebrity power players it's like who feels who does feel real to you and who who is just sort of like always on like pr mode and is always playing like the game of chess i just don't know how else she would talk about that well i mean the the thing she I'd say that would make it feel a little more genuine to me is say that whole speech and but then also acknowledge the one piece of information that they put out, which was she had a chance to buy it. Exactly. She didn't want to buy it. So if she just said like she just doesn't address it. She just says she got hoodwinked. Right. When when Scott Borchetta says like we told her lawyer like a week before it was happening, her dad's on the board. She doesn't speak to that at all. And I'd just like her to speak to that. That's as as opposed to just going, these two men fucked me over. Interesting. Um, that's the exact way I feel, too. Like, she's just burying the thing that's uh, not so nice. Even though she had a chance to buy it, she just wants to act like, although it's a ruthless industry, I'm not ruthless, and they were ruthless. Uh-huh. She should have just said that. Like, I had the chance to buy it. I thought I had more time or this. I didn't know the window was closing. I'm not uh, that astute of a business I might not person. have the money. That might be what she's alluding to. They had yeah. to bring in other people to actually buy it. So she might not be able – she might not have been liquid enough to buy that. Right. Or just have the wherewithal to know exactly how to do it in the, yeah. the right way. Yeah, and I like everything she said. Like, the thing was, like, my team knows not to bring me anything from Scooter Braun. Like, totally relate to that. There's probably people in our Kells world who are just like, no, does that guy bring it? Fuck that. Don't want to. Don't even see it. It's like, I can also totally relate to her going, like, Scott Prashetta, this guy was my fucking dad. I thought yeah. his daughter. And he fucking fucked me over. Like, fuck that guy. Like, I relate to that. I like all of it. It was just, but it was just like, that's like the one chess piece where you're like, okay. You're I just not, find her to be an annoying person hmm. in general. So. Yeah, I, I, I lean, like I said, like my outlook on her was kind of that way. And I, I to me, I thought the interview was like, yeah, it really spoke to a lot of that stuff because she, she also just talked a lot about perception and like being a people pleaser and then also yeah, wanting to control really cool. every aspect of her career. But she used to be like, oh, things are just happening to me. Oh, another good week. She's like, no, but I, I don't like I'm in a conference room three days a week strategizing how to do these things. And it's like it was just felt like a, it felt like a conversation that was real. And this guy wrote a profile on her like three years ago, too. So it was she, like. Seven years ago. Seven years. So yeah. she knows the, the the interviewer. There was just like I just thought there was a level of. Uh, I like that she called herself a golden a golden retriever. I yeah. thought that was a good line. She's like I just was there to please everybody, but obviously it's like you can only kind of be at the top for so long before people start to criticize you. Yeah, it's a fascinating read as much as a, a very famous person who's going to be somewhat guarded can be fascinating in a profile mm-hmm. piece, which I did not expect because I like to Shane's point. I was more like, well, we'll see how this goes, and like two answers in, I was like, okay, I'm like this feels a little has a little more depth than a regular like. I was feeling this way, so I wrote this song. Yeah, mm-hmm. that whole thing. Um, thoughts, big Taylor fan, Erica? I agree with you, Shane. Whoa. What'd I say again? I <laughs> know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, she's always just kind of 
been like a little annoying to me. I'm not a big Taylor Swift fan, but I also like don't particularly hate her. I just don't know enough about her. I've never cared enough to. Yeah, I we talked about this. You, you only like Fearless. So I was assigned with half an hour to spare. Yeah, before this but podcast. um, I will. It sounds good. Yeah, it's it good. sounds like you uh, changed your mind on her a little bit. Mike. Yeah, I dug it. I just thought it was. I like when those things are revealing. And I feel. Like, I feel like I learned something about her in as much as she didn't say, as much as she did say. And I like when I learn something about somebody when it's like a big cover of Rolling Stone. It's but a it, long it, piece. It, too. It's hard to f- like. It might seem authentic, but no matter what, just because it's her, I'm like, oh, this was reviewed a million times. She probably was like, take that out, and her management team is probably like, you seem so authentic here. Keep this part. She's like, I don't know. And then you know what I mean. <laughs> that is an, a very interesting counter because. Her answers are so goddamn good. Yeah. It almost feels like someone went through the print and was like, cleaned it up a bit. Mm. Mm-hmm. Or maybe she is that eloquent. I, I don't know. Like I said, I, don't, I haven't seen any interviews with her, but yeah, maybe Or that maybe happened. she had a relationship with this reporter already and he agreed to maybe allow her to see it before well, access, it was published. Nothing's for free, right? Yeah. And yeah. this guy got the access, so who knows if, if there was some, you know, arrangement final cut or final edit or whatever. To me, the best part about observing Taylor Swift's career is she's been going at it for so long and she's been at the top for so long. It's like, what does she do? What is her next move? Because she's really accomplished everything. It's like, what is there to do now? It's like she's played football stadiums for like the last five years. It's really incredible. And so each time she puts out a record, she has to think about okay, what is going to be the narrative that's going to make this feel fresh? What's it going to sound like? How am I going to give the people what they want while also not being stale, you know? Mm-hmm. And like, and that, there's only a few people, a few artists out there that have been at the top for so long and the expectations are so fucking high. Um, and I feel like she misstepped a little bit with reputation because I think people liked her for bringing kind of joy and happiness to people's lives and reputation had like, real edge to it and she like wasn't using social media she wasn't doing like, the fan engagement stuff that people came to love her for but then with lover she's kind of gone back to that old school model and i think it's working for her yeah yeah you remain a fan yeah yeah and just sort of fascinated by her all right that's it for the topics it no no it was a certain surprise yeah well i had one uh I was trying to work out the angle for this one, mm. but then I saw a tweet by Max, and he was like, the new halloumi salad, uh, uh, this place is awesome, so I had to run to Flock. Oh, cool. And then I, I was enjoying the salad, and I, I kind of got lost on the point of the topic, <laughs> but it's kind of related to, to everything we were talking about just now with Taylor and even uh, probably even more so with the Trudeau thing. But <laughs> um, Hold on a second. Can we just recap what Shane just said? He was like, I got lost in a Max tweet about him endorsing a salad that had halloumi on it. And then, well, I, I, love and then, I, and then I ran there, and then I got lost in thought, but it kind of relates to Taylor Swift and Justin Trudeau's brown face. That, that's incredible. <laughs> that was so good. Well, there's this ISIS video, and apparently... <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh well, there's this ISIS video, and I didn't know this, and this might even be racist to me not to know this, but ISIS is split into two factions. Uh, okay. I don't think that's racist. I think okay. okay. I don't know anything. But uh, apparently there's a blooper reel of a, a guy talking to camera, and he's fucking up like his terrorist threats. <laughs> and there's a, there's a bird going in the background, and he's like, oh, give me another take. <laughs> But it's not cool for this guy to be doing that. He doesn't want this video to get out to the public. So the rival faction got the video and they released it. And they're like, hey, this isn't the cool ISIS faction to be a part of. 
Oh okay. my god! So I was just I was just kind of trying to think of like you should have saved this and made it a stand up premise. <laughs> you could you could literally do five minutes on them being like political parties warring. Well, that, well, that's what I mean. It was like the premise is so funny. I know there's something here, and it's all related to somebody capturing you when you don't want to be captured, and someone <laughs> releasing it. You know what? I'm wrong. This is t- this totally. is amazing. Yeah. So I was trying to think of like moments in our own lives where we've been filmed and something's mm. been released and we didn't want to. And mm. what's the recourse? How do you handle someone? Like we have a friend, Felix, who films us when maybe sometimes we don't want to. I know I filmed Mike when he didn't want to. Mm. And what is like the, what do you think the etiquette is there, I guess? When you're filming a friend who's something stupid, do you always ask them? Or is it like put it up online and uh, take, take the heat the, later? The, yeah, the expression. Better to ask for forgiveness. Yeah. 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 Uh, oh, so you're asking what's well? Re- I mean, no, yeah, that's interesting. Those are those are a couple different things because it's like, it's like uh, it feels like some are done with the intent to harm the person that's been filmed. So it's like yeah. if you're Trudeau's rivals and they send these photos and they're part of like a conservative op- uh, operative, or if you're part of the other faction of ISIS that didn't have the blooper reel guy, mm-hmm. uh, you're doing it to undermine his credibility or something like that. Um, sometimes, but sometimes like. Let's say you're in your 20s and we're having yeah. a, uh, a conga line and we're all hammered and we're all just laughing. Yeah. That seems fine, right? And to put that online would be fine. But let's say you're a dad and you don't want to seem like you're always just out there drinking and partying. You might be like, hey, like, ask me about the conga line thing because it's going to make it seem like I'm some deadbeat out partying too much. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So like the time in your life kind of matters and sometimes people don't realize that you're at a different point in your life than someone else. So I find being a dad, I'm more embarrassed if a video of me being silly is out there. Yeah. So I, I always wonder, like, even me, if I see someone filming me, I also don't want to seem like I'm a prude or like, can you blur my face on that? Yeah, I think it kind of just comes down to like <clears throat> the gut test for the person being filmed. So the, it, it's kind of as simple as that. And you can't really argue with it. And especially if you're talking about friends. So it's like, if it just doesn't feel, if you're like, I know this is stupid, but in my gut, I just don't like it for whatever reason. Can you take it down? That's it. But it's, it's weirder mm. if it's someone's filming you and you kind of know them. They're on like the periphery of your mm. friend group. and But you know everyone you know knows that person and there's a good chance they'll post it. Like, Are you trying to get at something? No, I'm <laughs> just... I'm ju- I was just... <laughs> yeah, you're being no. oddly specific. <laughs> well, I'm just saying like the, the Trudeau thing got released, the mm. thing, presumably like maybe someone, a student he taught, uh, released that for massive cash, right? To, well, they, somebody probably sent that photo to... Or maybe he had a conservative student that, you know, sure. they've been sitting on that yearbook photo probably for a while. Oh, my God. Yeah. I wonder how long that's been yeah. there. I'm trying to find something. Here. Somebody brought up an interesting point I was talking to that they said, because it, it almost feels like a month out of the election. It's too soon to bring it up because it won't really necessarily affect votes because the story will blow over in theory. But they said they did it so that when they start the debates and Trudeau tries to start hitting the conservatives on uh, their xenophobia, their sort of anti-immigration uh, stance. They can basically then counter with like you actually can't speak to anything when it comes to race. Like they feel like it's yeah. a blocker that delegitimizes his his stance, which is ludicrous. But yeah, good work. Yeah. Who knows? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, if I felt like someone was putting out something like damaging on person on purpose to embarrass, like that's the thing. You just don't want to like because one thing one thing is you're like kind of putting something out to hurt like an opponent. When you're talking mm-hmm. about friends shooting friends, like for an Insta story or like a Snapchat or something. Like my like my thing is it's like I just don't want to embarrass anybody. I don't want anyone to feel embarrassed, you know. And people have different tolerances for embarrassment. Yeah. So if it's like if you're if 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 you're out if you're at a house party and you're drunk and it's like, you know, it's like 
pushing two in the morning and you're you're kind of passed out in a chair and everybody's kind of partying around you and it's like somebody's like going to film me it's like well you know it's like i'm around friends i would like to think i'm not going to wake up the next day my wife's going to be like why did you pass out in the chair it's like well if i knew why i did it i wouldn't have done it you know it's like Mm -hmm. it's like i don't want i would think my good friends wouldn't shoot that and you know that takes conversations because some people don't give a shit you know like somebody like you know one of our friends might be get hammered pass out and someone put a blanket on them and a sombrero and then like shoot it and be like night ended early for so-and-so and that person would be like that's hilarious you know what i mean but other and people- then people think you're doing appropriation <laughs> it's yeah. a sombrero yeah. i should have said a uh, yeah what kind of hat could they be wearing yeah i think you should be really aware of like who uh yeah who you're filming and if you're their friend you'd know what's what you can do what you can't do mm-hmm. so like mandrash who's very easygoing generally she hates being filmed sleeping on a plane I did that once, and she says, like, Max, I don't care about anything. Never do that again. Sure. And I said, oh, okay, yep, fair enough. I'm the same way I'm playing Mm. playing sleep. But for you, it's got to be a different standard, too, because your stuff, anything that you're involved with is catchier and potentially a news story. Yeah, well, I was trying to think. I feel like um, you guys did something. Maybe it was on the Mike and Much account or something. There was some photo of me. I can't even recall. It was in the last couple months where I remember it towed the line. Oh, you had that mega hat on. No, no, stop it. I'm joking. Uh, That's not true, by the way.